the Mason Jar Podcast. I'm Renee Mathis. I'm your host for this series of podcasts on mentoring moms. Whether you are a young mom in need of guidance or an older mom with wisdom to share, I hope you'll join me on this encouraging journey. Well, today my guest is my friend Andrea Lipinski. I first met Andrea when she was finishing up her Cersei apprenticeship and I was getting ready to become a head mentor and lead a group of my own. Now, Andrea is the director of all the Cersei Apprentices, so that kind of makes her my boss, but really, we're just good friends. Andrea is a homeschooling mom and a teacher. She loves learning. She loves classical education. So as we are thinking about mentors and seeking advice and encouragement, I immediately thought of you, Andrea, because I want to hear how mentors made you a better mom and teacher, and I know you have much to teach us. So welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and whatever else you think we need to know. Well, um, I have been married for 23 years this summer to my husband, David. We met because he was the lifeguard and I was the day camp counselor at the local YMCA. Um, I would say it was love at first sight. I knew at that first time, but I saw him across the meeting area that night I called my girlfriend. I said, he's going to ask me out. I just know it. It took him <laughs> six weeks of researching me before he did. Okay. <laughs> so, um, he taught me many things. The first time I ever went camping, long distance cycling, photography, hiking, rappelling. You are an adventurous family even today, aren't you? Yes. Yes. So that's how we started getting to know each other. And even this past September with six days notice, we took ourselves and our two children and we canoed, camped the boundary waters between America and Canada. No cell phone coverage, no nothing, just us. Our food in our canoes and on our backs. But that's how it started. Uh, We have two boys. God gave us boys. So the name of our school is the Lipinski Boys School. We homeschool them in central Texas little bitty town that was a one-light town when we moved here. So it's been nice to be rural, and my boys um, both claim and are proud of their Texas heritage, though their mama is originally from New York. And so every summer, I've taken them back to New York to have roots with my family. They have like dual citizenship. (laughs) Exactly. And in two weeks, we head back to New York to take my oldest, who will be going to the United States Merchant Marine Academy, there for indoctrination. We drop him off, and he starts college. So you have graduated your first? You're you're 50% of the way done? That's right. Congratulations. (laughs) All right. Very good. What is the Merchant Marine Academy? Remind us what they do and who they are. Ah, So they are the fifth arm of the armed forces. They have the fifth military school by our, that our country supports. Um, and they protect and defend our country's welfare, both economically and physically. There's a, oh, I'm going to forget it right now. There's an act that was put in place that says that 50% of all merchant ships that come in with economic goods for mm-hmm. trade have to be manned by United States citizens. Okay. And we have to train those. Right. And so there's only five or six schools in America that do that. And the Merchant Marine Academy is one. Oh, exciting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Upon graduation, he has to give back a minimum of five to eight years in service. Okay. Very good. Well, tell us about your background as as a teacher. Did you ever teach in a classroom before you became a homeschooling mom? I know you've taught in a classroom after you became a homeschooling mom. 
Right. I'm a person who does the next thing that's right in front of me. And I've been learning to pay attention more so to where I've been. And I didn't realize how impactful other teachers had been in my life. So I didn't teach. I didn't think I would be a teacher at all. Like that wasn't going to be me. But the teachers, when I graduated from high school, my local teachers put together a scholarship to support the next teacher. And they chose me for that scholarship. I never knew that. I, I, it's just me figuring that out. I was like, oh, wow. I, I forgot. But with my son graduating, I looked back at my high school kind of information. And I was the student they chose to be the next teacher. And they you know, gave me a financial scholarship to help me do that. I forgot. And then my oldest son was turning five in the summer and needed to go to full-time kindergarten. And I said, no, we can stay home. And that went so well. I said, I think we can do that again. And then that went so well, I said, I think I need some help doing that again. (laughs) Um, And so I started researching educational models. And when I read, I read a lot of Charlotte Mason and classical education. Those are the two places that I went to for more mentors. And Lee Bortons herself told me in a phone call when I asked her, how do I do this? How do I do this? And she just said, you to do it. And I said, how do I do this? She said, well, just find Andrew Kern and do whatever he says. And so I did. So that's, that was that journey of me learning about teaching and teaching my own. I knew I needed help, that there was more to this. I had fun doing it the first few years. Am I answering your question? You are. And you brought up several great points. I don't know which one to start off on first, but first of all, you use the word mentor, which we definitely want to dig into on this episode. And the idea that as homeschooling moms, we often recognize that we need help and we want to do it. We want to do a good job of what we've been Mm -hmm. called to do. Um, It's not always inborn. It's not something that we just open that reading textbook or whatever and, and automatically know how to do, but there are skills that we can bring to our teaching. And um, sometimes the first step is just recognizing that we need help and and learning what is the next skill or what can I do to do a better job of this Mm -hmm. this task that God has called me to. And there are resources out there. So um, you mentioned the word mentor again, and I'm always curious and I always like to ask my guests, what does that word mean to you? How would you define mentor? Hmm. That's been fun to ponder, right? Because thankfully I have the lost tools of writing Uh, tools in my toolbox. So I thought about that one because you did let me know that one ahead of time and try to define it following level one. And I came up with a mentor, someone who guides another in a known space for an extended amount of time, reaching beyond where they began. That's beautiful. Guides, extended amount of time, reaching beyond. Mm -hmm. That encompasses a lot of what makes mentors and that relationship special. Mm -hmm. Um, That's great. Um, So since I teach level one as well, what group did you put mentors in? Mm. Guides. Guides. Yeah. Yeah. I thought of teachers and pastors, friends, neighbors, tutors, coaches. Those are all mentors. Right. And I went with guides. I like that. Yeah. And and as we've talked about on past episodes, you you can have a mentor for a season. A a good friend can be a mentor. We can find Mm -hmm. mentors within the pages of a book like Charlotte Mason, for example. Mm -hmm. And then mentors can be that one-on-one personal relationship of that person who calls us to do maybe better and more than we thought we could. Mm -hmm. And I like that. Um, 
I was talking to my daughter earlier today and we were talking about education and philosophies and, you know, kind of finding your people and so forth. And, and she said, you know, mom, if you just have your big vision, and she said, I, I like that word better than method. She said, if I have my vision of what I'm trying to do, then everything else is a tool to serve that vision. And hmm. then I, she feels more confident. And I thought, that makes a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, who are some of your mentors? Ah, my mom was my mm-hmm. first mentor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and and I would tell you honestly, like there's things that she mentored me in that I want to continue in, mm-hmm. and there's things that she mentored me in that I need to not continue in. And so she was young when she had me, and she learned a lot with me. So yeah. My grandmother mentored me as well from afar and graciously. She was a tough woman in so many ways. And yet I would tell you for me, she softened. So I learned much from her in aiming for goals and reaching them. I had teachers along the way that were incredible. I had one teacher named Mrs. Denniston in third grade who invited me to go to church. And I had learned that church was good from another experience. And so I said, sure. She drove out of her way 45 minutes each direction to pick me up and take me to church. Then I had another teacher that was guiding me for an extended amount of time. And she reached beyond the role that she needed to play in my life as that teacher. Uh, It was high school. And she looked at me one day and she said, Andrea, you don't need to carry that garbage on your back anymore. And I did not like it. I didn't realize that I was carrying garbage on my back um, from yucky childhood events. But she took the time to know me and to speak that into my life when I was ready to hear it. Um, So she continued to mentor me through college and Uh stayed in touch. When we got married, I sought out another mentor because I didn't know how, what is a Christian wife? Ah, and. in that pursuit of trying to find one mentor, I didn't find one. Rather, uh, God gave me a best friend. And so we were both moms who had our firstborn babies two weeks apart and figured it out together. And that friend has stood by my side every day since. Oh, what a blessing. You know, God knows what we need. And and mm-hmm. I think what I'm, what I'm hearing you say from these, this short conversation so far is that a good mentor is willing to sacrifice for the sake of that relationship. Your mentors put time into you, even when it wasn't convenient for them. Mm-hmm. So that definitely implies there is a sense of that, that person who wants to see you grow and wants to see you come along and is willing to put their time, money, energy, resources, whatever into that relationship to see you grow. Mm-hmm. Um, Literally, mentors go out of their way. I like that. Right. They go out of their way for you. Right, yeah. Um, and then there are seasons for this, right? It may mm-hmm. not have been the season for you to have a formal mentoring relationship. And the Lord knew you just needed a good friend, someone mm-hmm. to walk alongside of you um, so that you could both encourage one another. And I'm sure you have encouraged her as much as she's encouraged you as well. I could only hope. <laughs> well, you're an encouraging person. <laughs> I would imagine that's the case. So um, how did you decide to, so you got into the Circe apprenticeship, which is a mm-hmm. formal mentoring relationship. 
And when you and I were both involved in that, um, there was only one Cersei apprenticeship, right? Yep. Andrew Kern was our head mentor. Mm-hmm. How did that, what did you learn from that whole experience? Well, it was a neat thing for me. I didn't, I didn't know I was headed there. I took the Lost Tools online adult course for a year. And uh, by writing the essays myself and learning with Camille and learning how to think, I thought I was learning a, I was learning a curriculum, right, at first. Mm-hmm. to be a better teacher in my classroom. And then when I got to the near the end of that, I realized there is much more to teaching than this curriculum. It's great that I can know this one and bring this into my home, but I want to be a better teacher across the board. And so that's when I pursued the apprenticeship with Andrew as my mentor. And for those of y'all who are not familiar with the Sourcey apprenticeship, um, it is a formal teacher training program, but I liken it more to just a discipling relationship. Those that want to partake and be a part of this, there is an application process. You sign up for it. There is work involved. There's tuition. And it's three years long if you want to complete mm-hmm. it from start to finish. So when Andrea and I talk about being in the apprenticeship, you know, we each went through that three-year process And then um, I've since become a leader of my own group of apprentices. And Andrea, as I said, leads all of the head mentors. And now we're up to, is it six or seven? Seven. We're going to have this year. Yeah. And so in this coming academic year of 2019, um, seven apprenticeships. So that's beautiful. And I like what you said that we started, and I think I was the same way. I wanted to teach writing better. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, to, I loved the Lost Tools of Writing as a curriculum. And I probably started thinking that this is all about me learning to teach writing, mm-hmm. but it's more than that. Mm-hmm. The Lost Tools is, to sound redundant, a tool <laughs> that we use to teach teachers how to teach. And yes. once you realize that, you can apply, we can apply what we've learned to all kinds of teaching experiences. Mm-hmm. All kinds of, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's a church Bible study, whether it's at home with your kids and other subjects. Well, and what I was learning with the Lost Tools and hearing from Andrew at conferences uh, harmonized with what I had read from Charlotte Mason and what I had read on classical education. And so here was somebody offering himself in a personal small group relationship way of helping me understand that. How did let's let's back up what you said about Charlotte Mason and classical education? How would you say all of those things kind of harmonized together? Mm. They all treated the child as a human, and they acknowledged that we are reflections, images, image bearers of God, and that as such, in the teaching relationship, it is one to be taken carefully, uh, not lightly. Right. And purposefully, right? I needed to know where I was headed. So that are the little things that I'm doing getting me there. If I, if I want my, my sons to walk in wisdom and to act in virtue, what are the little things I need to be doing now, knowing what the fruit is that I'm trying to grow? Because we're not just raising children, we're raising adults. Yes. <laughs> Right. And, and specifically, you are raising young men. You are raising right. men to take the place in the world. Right. And there, there was, I, I felt the responsibility of that, um, that here I was a, 
a woman uh, with a husband, right? Together, we're raising boys, but the edu- the, the homeschooling falls more on me. Mm-hmm. And I had been raised in a house of all girls. How do you raise a man? And so I wanted to learn from people who had already done this before. Mm-hmm. I'm not the first one. <laughs> I'm not the first teacher. I'm not, right? And so how do we do this? And for what purpose? Mm-hmm. And so I had bought Norms and Nobility and read that prior to the apprenticeship. But I, I, I didn't understand it. I needed a guide to go through that book with me and help me bring questions to it, mm-hmm. help challenge me to think about what to do with it once I knew it. You're responsible for what you know, mm-hmm. right? So now what do I do? So I sought that out deliberately once I understood it was available. Mm-hmm. How would you say your teaching changed as a result of being in the apprenticeship? Do you do things differently that you perhaps didn't do when you first started? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it was a, a gradual thing. Um, but the, I would say understanding the mimetic mode of teaching. You're going to have to stop and tell us what that is. Oh. Not everybody's going to have heard that term before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to teach by imitation, to understand that a child becomes what he or she beholds. And so I want to place before my children things that I want them to behold and therefore become. And I allow them the space to see lots of whatever it is. And they compare those, those types, those examples, so that they can see the, the similarities, identify those similarities. And then whether, the, whether it's a skill or an item, uh, an artifact, they can replicate that repeat that. Mm -hmm. And so once I understood that little, it's not little, but little pattern of teaching, I could teach anything. The form mattered more to my teaching than the content. Ah, That was my freedom. Yes. That's great. Because I know when I first started as well, you think it's all about the facts. Mm -hmm. Teaching is, you know, open brain, poor in facts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's face it, when you're talking about four and five-year-olds and six-year-olds, there are a lot of little facts that you pour mm-hmm. into them. And they're, a little, they're soaking up all kinds of, of knowledge and you know, things like that. But if we limit our teaching to just communicating what is two plus two, mm-hmm. we're missing out on, on the joy of, like you said, of pouring into a human being. Mm-hmm. And and modeling and embodying what we want them to become. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's what I try to keep before me is what are we becoming? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Christ tells us to love. He doesn't tell us to do acts of love. Mm-hmm. He tells us to love. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a being. <laughs> I am to love. Like, ah, see, I just, I'm still sitting in it. Um, I think well, David, David Hicks in Norms and Nobility says, you know, education is not about knowing, it's about doing. Doing. That's right. one of the, by the way, that's one of the easier things he says. <laughs> <laughs> if you feel like you need a guide to get through Norms and Nobility, you are absolutely in the majority. We all feel that way. Um, but uh, it can be a little, a little tough to wade through that, but it rewards, it rewards thinking, contemplation, reading, and rereading. Mm-hmm. Because he is, he is so very challenging. Um, yeah. Well, as and the other thing you mentioned just now, I wanted to 
stop on for a second is you said you found your, um, I think you said rest. Did you use that word or did I just, I jumped to rest, restful teaching. Uh, I could have. Yeah. Because that's what the form did. Right. right. Otherwise I felt like I was striving. I got to make sure they get this, they get this, they get this. And I got to get this first right. so that I can give it to them. And when I realized that they're going to imitate what they see, that includes me. Mm-hmm. Then the importance of me learning what it means to be human was crucial because mm-hmm. they're going to replicate what they, what, I, what they see me do and how they see me interact with people, um, how they see me treat myself and them. And so that mattered. And so that's when, for me, it was, I was valuable. <laughs> Not that I wasn't ever valuable, right? But as a teacher, I feel like I had to learn the teaching thing sometimes. We have to learn this curriculum so that we can then impart it to our right. teachers instead of realizing we are the curriculum. We are the curriculum. The, the mind of the teacher is the curriculum. Right. And I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. So I had to learn that because they're going to become what they behold, they're beholding me, then I need to take care of me mm-hmm. and go learn what it means to teach and that there's actual skills involved and there's a program that will help me in a extended relationship that will go beyond the curriculum, the, beyond the book, beyond the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And that's what the apprenticeship did. You know, sure, we talked about the Aeneid and the Odyssey and the Iliad and standing by words, right? We talked about what it was that we were trying to do. We wrote our essays. We taught our lessons. But in those conversations, we weren't limited to those items. Mm-hmm. All of life and humanity was our discussion. And I would say Andrew's goal for us was to become more human. Mm-hmm during that apprenticeship Um, so that when we are interacting with students, we give them the space to do the same. Mm -hmm. And that's again, restful. Mm -hmm. I like your contrast there. We're not striving. We're resting. Mm -hmm. And the form gives us the freedom. There is freedom within limits. We all know that. Yeah. Boundaries Boundaries are a good thing. They can keep out, boundaries can keep out what you don't want, but they can also keep in what you do want. And the the boundary, the form of how to present a lesson and how to structure a lesson, once you know that, you're free to teach anything. Right. right. You know how it fits. And you, you know that um, if I present it this way, I'm going to be able to sit back and let my child mind do the work that God created it to do. Um, yeah, I, I Andrew know, would say, Oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say as, as a teacher, it was very freeing to me to realize that I don't have to create a love of learning into my child. Mm. Uh, he was born. They were born loving to learn. I just have to yes. sit back and maybe provide the structure, the atmosphere, the environment where they are free to, to learn mm-hmm. and I'm standing in the way of that. Yeah. Andrew used to say to us in the apprenticeship that a teacher needs to teach on the brink of a nap because the energy needs to reside with the student, not with us. Right. We're not putting on a dog and pony show. No. I like to say, you know, and um, if, if we're exhausting ourselves trying to mm-hmm. make our house look like a school or we're doing all the memorizing and we're doing all the input. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The right. energy should be with with the student. 
student. And when we and when we ask those good questions, the energy is with the student. Mm-hmm. We can sit back and watch them wrestle with it. <laughs> oh, and my son made this that comment come to life to me because one time I was reading something aloud and I paused and I said, "Isn't this great?" You know, something like that, right? And my son said, "Oh, I, I probably asked. No, don't you think this is great?" Something like that, because his response is what I remember. Well, I don't have to, Mom. You have enough excitement for both of us. Uh, yeah. I thought, oh, that's what Andrew's talking about. Yeah. Well, um, and because you and I know that if we weren't taught classically ourselves, mm-hmm. and, and we are coming to this renewal, and we're coming to this discovery, and, and like a lot of homeschool moms, they get really excited yeah. um, about what they're learning. And, and I think this is something that those of us who are a little more experienced can hopefully communicate to those who are kind of in the beginning stages is that, um, yes, you're excited. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Because, but your student needs to have that joy as well. Yeah, um, We need to sometimes sit back and be quiet and let that work out in their lives. That's, I think, one of the best things I've learned uh, from an, another person is that my, as my sons have become teenagers, like the best thing I can do is say, mm-hmm. yeah, really? Hmm. <laughs> just let them do the thinking. Let and, them do the thinking. Yes. Yes. And let me just be there so that there's a presence mm-hmm. encouraging this to happen. Who's careful, you know, like cares about them, is listening to them, finds them valuable and important, mm-hmm. but they can do all the thinking. Absolutely. I know you have, you have taught part-time in a, for a little while, you were at a classical school, mm-hmm. writing and Latin, I think, was it? It was writing, literature, and logic. Okay. Um, how did you take your, your teaching skills into that arena? How, was that different than homeschooling, or did you find it very easy just to transition from one to the other? Some things were easy. Some things weren't. How about that? A couple of students versus 16 at a time was a different mm-hmm. a transition, and how to engage them include them. One of the things that I took from the apprenticeship, I would tell you, is the idea that Hicks talks about it, that an ineffective teacher is the one who answers the question before it has been asked, Mm. right? So Hicks says this, but what do I do with that in my classroom? And so I needed to also teach this history textbook because that's what I was assigned to do. But I, I used from the apprenticeship the three columns. So there's only three kinds of things we can teach. And to think about in each course that I taught, what are the three, you know, what are the skills I'm teaching? What are the ideas that I'm teaching? And what are the facts that I'm teaching? Those three kinds of things. And so I would lay that out before I got started so I know where I was headed. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to really figure out if an ineffective teacher is the one who answers the questions before they're asked. And as Andrew Kern says, the quality of one's life is determined by the quality of the questions one asks. Then how do I get my students asking their own questions? Mm -hmm. Because if they quit asking, which many students quit asking after around six, seven, eight years old, Mm -hmm. how do I get 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds asking questions again? So how did you, I flipped it and I, I would assign them from our history blah, blah, boring textbook that had every word they needed to know bolded and had a summary for every paragraph, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I took that boring textbook and I would just assign them to read the smart, the short part that had something to do with some person or some idea that I wanted them to know. And then their homework was just to come back to class with a piece of paper, written on the piece of paper, uh, two questions. And I'd already taught them through 
Lost Tools, the five mm-hmm. common topics. Mm-hmm. So they knew five different kinds of questions they could ask about anything. Mm-hmm. So they had that basics, right, at the beginning of the year. And so then they said, we don't need to answer the questions, Mrs. Lipinski. No, just come to class with your own handwritten questions, written on a piece of paper, and then we'll discuss them in class. So that was the foundation of our discussions. And so in the beginning, they came with who is, who is, who is, right, kind of questions. And I would get them to answer their questions themselves based on what they had read or experienced from another class or in literature or something. And that's where we started. And when they saw that's really all she was asking, they leaned into it, right? Because there had to be a trick because, you know, you have to answer the questions. So they didn't want to ask hard questions that they couldn't answer, right? Mm -hmm. But when they realized I wasn't going to do that to them, then they started asking questions that went way beyond what their text had introduced them to. And I would have to say in class, I don't know, but I'll go home, I'll do some research, I'll come back and we'll talk about it. Well, that was too long of a wait sometimes. It got to where they would ask the question, they would write it down, they would do the research, and then they would bring it to class and see if anybody else knew. And if nobody else knew, then they'd give the answer. How they exciting were so for them. Excited. Yeah. They loved it. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was it was fabulous time. It was, in, at times, right, when you're teaching, I had the, the kiddos that I had for that period, I had them for three class periods. And so sometimes the hour would, you know, uh, overlap. Mm-hmm. Right, and I would borrow from one class to help with with another class, but if I borrowed any time from history, they were not pleased. <laughs> they did not want to miss out on that time, because right. the other skills I wanted to teach them the skill of asking questions, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to teach them, teach them the skill of how to look each other in the eye and converse with one another, and mm-hmm. pay attention to body language to know when that person's done. When can I speak next? When should I pause? How do I respond? You know, those kind of things. So I, that's when we were all facing each other during those times of history discussions. Mm-hmm. And we were working on conversation skills as well and speaking loud enough so the people on the other side of the room could hear us, um, encouraging the quiet ones in the classroom to speak, helping the ones who's talked all the time, love their neighbor by not speaking as often. Mm-hmm. We talked about all of those skills as well in this time. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how I brought the apprenticeship into a classroom. That's rhetoric lived out. <laughs> it is. That's beautiful. It was such a joy. And I would honestly tell you it's something I miss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I know a lot of our listeners, you know, homeschool moms, as we grow up with our kids, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we are leading either a discussion as part of our homeschool community or um, where we were teaching a class as part of a co-op or a, a particular group that we're associated with. And uh, this has been good to hear some real life concrete examples of, of what you've done. You are also now a homeschool mom who's working part-time. And yeah. that is also true of a lot of us in this day and age that, um, you know, sometimes we are, we are that one income family and we're able to stay home. And, and then for maybe whatever reason, mom finds herself working either from home or outside the home a little bit. Um, how has this idea of mentors and mentoring and even what you learned as a teacher, how has that affected your job? The, the job that you do now that you're paid for. Huh, that's interesting. So in my role now, I've looked again to say, is there somebody else who's already done this who can help me out? <laughs> um, you know, so I've, I've found some different authors and I've read some books. 
mm-hmm. um, because there's some business aspect to what I'm doing now. I've subscribed to some magazines to read there to continue my learning on the business side of what we do in the in developing head mentors and apprenticeship graduates. Cause that's my goal, right? Mm-hmm. That if you join the apprenticeship, you graduate with us. I would say the apprenticeship was my preparation there. Mm-hmm. And I would also have to tell you, my mentor there has to the teeny tiniest best of my ability possible Christ. He said, um, those who are forgiven much love much. Mm-hmm. And that's me. I have been forgiven much. Um, and I try to love others. And so in my interactions with others, I keep in mind at one of the Cersei conferences, I bought a book from eighth day books and I got a little bookmark in it. And it gave me a quote from St. Philo of Alexandria that said, be kind for everyone, you know, is fighting a great battle. Mm-hmm. And so in my interactions with people who are uh, wanting to talk about the apprenticeship and ask me questions, but they don't want to burden me or take up too much of my time or whatever they preconceive, right? Mm-hmm. I find it my gift to offer them the kindness of answering their questions um, because I believe the apprenticeship is good and they won't know about it. I don't think anybody joins the apprenticeship without getting to talk to a person live about it. It may not be the director. It may be a head mentor or a fellow apprentice or a graduate, but they're going to need to talk to a live person about what this program is to understand it before they can commit themselves to it. Well, that's because we're not really about a program. I mean, it sounds trite. We're about people. Right. And and the apprenticeship is about people. And I would just say loving other people along the way, as you've said. Yep. You know, just that guide. And, And Andrea, I can vouch for, as, as one person who works under you, you love us well, and you do you do communicate well with us, and you bring so much to um, to what you do to support us that it's, it's obvious that you have been taught well yourself, and uh, you're bringing those skills into the arenas where God is calling you, and um, it's, been, it's been a joy. So I just want to thank you for being here with us today and uh, talking about... I know it's my favorite topic is teaching, and I know I know it's one of yours as well. Yes. But you you have given us a lot to think about. You've given us a lot to chew on, as well as some good concrete things that we can think about and take home um, into our homeschools or into the classrooms that we might be leading. And um, I hope for those who are listening who who might want to find a guide such as Andrea and I have talked about that that you will pray and, and that the Lord will show you where that where that person is and then how that person can maybe be a part of your life. And uh, for those of us who are listening who are maybe a little farther along down the road, maybe pray about someone that you could turn around and guide and disciple and share and maybe even go out of your way for and and watch that person flourish as a result of your friendship. So, Andrea, thank you for giving us a lot to think about. Thank you for being with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Renee. I appreciate what you're doing. All right. We'll see you all the next time. Take care.